Hey, welcome to Inside the Album. I'm Don Seckler. That's Tommy Hilkin. How's it going, Tom? Don, real, real good. Feeling good. Lit up. Look at this, man. Nice. There you go. Look ready at that. Go. Professional. You got your wall, your curtain. You're ready to rock. My big head. <laughs> so Inside the Album, it's a podcast where we dive deep inside your favorite classic albums and talk mm. about all the stories about the recording of that album the songwriting and the band at the time and this week we are gonna take a run at a night in the opera by queen <laughs> wow wow such memories for me my friend yeah all right so let's talk about the band uh, actually you know what let's talk about our charity that we're working with Oh, thanks. Yeah. Uh, guys, we're doing this podcast so everybody can, we can raise awareness for our charity, which is Music for Mark, where we bring musical lessons and musical instruments to kids of the world so the kids can keep the music going. Don and I, you know, our love of music goes real, real deep. So we want to keep it going. So uh, Don will tell you a little bit about it's Music for Mark, uh, bringing musical lessons and instruments to the kids of the world. Yeah, and so we're looking for donations of used musical instruments, anything you've got laying around the house, been in a closet for 20 years or down in the basement, let us know. We'll come by, swing by and pick it up and repurpose that instrument, get it into the hands of somebody who can start a life of music. And you all probably have a ukulele laying around out there that you never use, so come on. I'm sure there's ukuleles, <laughs> guitars, even trombones. <laughs> oh, first ever. The place. That's beautiful. Yeah. All right. So let's dive into A Night at the Opera by Queen and wow. we'll introduce the band. And I'm sure, you know, I'm sure people know at least the lead singer, Freddie Mercury, is pretty, pretty well known and uh, uh, pretty famous and, and high visible. So, uh, of course, he passed away, I think, in the early, early 90s, late 80s, early 90s. Yeah, it was. A, that's a good question. Yeah, I'm not sure the exact year, but uh, so Freddie Mercury lead vocals, also plays piano, one of the main songwriters. Everybody in this band contributed to this album, so there's so there's stuff from everybody on this record in yep. terms of songwriting. You've got Brian May, uh, lead guitar player, Roger Taylor on drums, and he also sings one of the tunes and plays guitar on it. Mm-hmm. And then you have John Deacon, who's the bass player, who also plays a little bit of piano with the band. Yep. So this album was released on November 21st, 1975. So another album released, Ooh. another great album released right around like Thanksgiving. So that's interesting. There seems to be a lot of November uh, release dates for these albums. That's interesting. It depends on when you start recording, right? Yeah, I guess. It, I don't know. that it, it probably does means nothing. It's probably a huge coincidence, <laughs> but I think it's like the third one we've had that was let, done right at that week of Thanksgiving here in the U.S. Um, but it was recorded at, at uh, a bunch of different, I think like seven different studios across four months in 1975. So they were bouncing all over the place when they were uh, writing and recording this album. What was happening at the time in 1975, 76, you had uh, a lot of uh, schmaltzy stuff on the on the charts. You had John Denver with actually multiple albums on the charts in, in 1976. You had the average white band. Yeah. And, and then you also had the Eagles on the border. So one of their uh, earlier albums. Big album. Yeah. Yeah. Pretty yeah. popular, right? Yeah. Oh, yeah. Yeah. On the border was huge. 
Yeah. So uh, A Night at the Opera was a hugely successful album and it topped the UK album chart for four non-consecutive weeks. It peaked at number four on the Billboard US 200 and became the band's first platinum certified album in the US. It also produced their most successful single, which is Bohemian Rhapsody, um, and that became their first UK number one. And despite being twice as long as the average length of singles during the 70s, that song became hugely popular. It's a super long song, which is great, you know, and when we in the rock tradition, I guess, you you know, you're used to seeing a few that are uh, eight or nine minutes and this one's 821. So it is a really longer song, not radio friendly at all. <laughs> yeah, and that was the challenge with it. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Um, and so Rolling Stone also ranked it at number 128 on its list of 500 greatest albums of all time. And it was inducted into the Grammy Hall of Fame in 2018. Wow. Took them long enough. <laughs> I know, right? What, what is up with that? That's weird. 2018. Yeah. Come on. So uh, the album really, you know, and we've talked about some mega albums recently. Um, So, you know, it just doesn't compare to the Fleetwood Mac record we talked to about last week. Uh, But this one sold uh, just over four million copies worldwide. Four million. Yeah. Come that's on. the number as I'm saying. I hope that's accurate. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. No. My neighborhood alone, four million was sold. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> <laughs> that 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 well yeah ladies and gentlemen we're gonna look into that <laughs> just let me tell you it was like we're doing today it's an iconic album so yeah yeah it was super super popular yeah well let's rock come on man yeah so here's a picture of the cover of the album and it's this queen logo which was designed by freddie and they use this logo on this album with a white background and then on a subsequent album, it was the same logo, just on a black background. And it's kind of a cartoony drawing with, uh, it looks like a couple of lions and a swan and, and the cue for Queen. So, you know, okay, not, not my favorite album cover, but, uh, you mm. know, pretty straightforward. Um, interesting thing about the band. So they, this, this, this is their fourth album. And so they, they'd actually had some hits before this. Uh, and the problem was that they were really not seeing any of the money. So they originally signed a contract that meant that they would sell albums to, uh, they would provide the albums to a production company who and then would in turn sell it to the record label. Wow. Brian May described this as probably the worst decision they ever made yeah. because they completely got screwed over. Yeah. So w- th- their finances were in such poor sh- shape at the time that they told Roger Taylor not to drum too hard as they couldn't afford new drumsticks. Mm. Wow. (laughs) What the hell? Probably the cheapest thing besides a string on a guitar, right? (laughs) Yeah. I mean, who says that? (laughs) It's crazy. It's like, don't hit golf balls because the golf tees cost too much money. Yeah. Right. Yeah. That's interesting. So, uh, so yeah, so they were in dire straits with the, with, in terms of money and management and stuff. And, and, and part of that plays out on this record and we'll, we'll talk about it. And, you know, some of the songs are, are, or at least one of the songs is aimed at the, uh, the former management. And, you know, we'll talk about the details of that as we get into there, uh, the individual songs. Um, the album title was inspired by the Marx Brothers film of the same name. 
Sure. The band had been watching it during the recording sessions. By them using that name, they actually became friends with Groucho Marx. <laughs> Why not? So could you imagine it. Freddie Mercury and Groucho Marx in the same room? That had to be amazing. <laughs> yeah. Two geniuses. Yeah, so they were like buddy-buddy and hanging out and stuff. It was amazing. Well, Groucho was a, you know, they said Groucho was a party guy. If you went to a party and hung with Groucho, you had a good time. Oh, really? Oh, I didn't know that. Okay. Oh, huh. yeah. Oh, huh. yeah. He, he was quite the uh, character for sure. Yeah. Yeah. It's, yeah. A, you know, it's so hard to tell with those older guys yeah. because they're so straight laced in their act, you know? And, oh, you know, oh, they're, you know, they're, cause they all observe the lines of you don't say this, you don't say that kind of stuff. But in private, they're probably, you know, just like oh, everybody else. Well, yeah. Well, no, Groucho was a little left of center for sure. <laughs> yeah. You know, with this album, as you were saying, you know, we talked about this last week when we said it. I said, yeah, Queen released three albums before this that were tremendous. Yeah. Great records. And so what you're saying is, I think the number could be right at four million. It really, Took a while for Queen to take well, off, man. Yeah, they were, you know, they were kind of known as as almost a British pop band. You know, they weren't super popular here in the states before this. So right, right. But you'd be surprised, you know. They uh, the earlier albums had a lot of a uh, lot of heavy metal in them, and before it was heavy metal, like yeah, your heart attack, just great, great stuff. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And Brian May is that, you know, one of the quintessential, another great guitar player great, great, uh, with yeah. a, with an, a little bit of an unusual style, not to, not as as diverse as like a Lindsey Buckingham with the picking style, but a little less common than, um, you know, your average rock guitarist. And uh, again, another guy who has his own sound. Yes. Uh, yeah. yeah. That's, that's the one thing about him. Yeah, and that comes from him building his own guitars. He built his own guitars like as a kid. So that red guitar that he's most famously known for, that was something that he created. So, um, you know, talented, talented guy. Are you, you're going to talk about the guys in the band, right? Uh, yeah, go ahead. What well, do you want to say? No, no, I'm just saying. I know uh, Brian May is like a rocket scientist or something with yeah literally <laughs> yeah he is we'll get into that a little bit in one yeah, of the songs okay, cool. that comes out about it cool. um so the, the interesting thing about this album too is it's it's a really wide mix of of styles so there's some ballads there is even like dixieland there's like hard rock there's pro progressive rock and so uh you know it's it, uh, there's one song that's like a, a broadway show kind of you know oh, that, yeah so I it's yeah, so it's this whole kind of weird mix of of things going on at once, but it all works so well uh, together. One of my favorite Queen songs is on this album. Yeah, yeah. and they, which uh, which is your favorite? Thirty nine. Oh, nice. Okay. Great, great song. Yeah, so they used a bunch of different instruments as well. So they used a double bass, a harp and a ukulele and a few more unusual <laughs> instruments so you know there's all sorts of stuff going on here within this record yeah a lot of production definitely yeah all right so let's dive right in uh, and we'll start off with the opening track and this one is called death on two legs death on two legs <laughs> it's a cool song Thank you. 
yapıyorum. This is great. Oh, it's yeah, so funny too. because if you if you yeah if you listen to this casually, it's kind of it's a little weird at the beginning with the the piano, then the crazy guitar, then crazy the piano guitar. again. Yeah, but then it's just a nonstop like ripping on this guy. Yeah, <laughs> but brilliant, brilliantly laid out. It's very very cool. Yeah, yeah. So it's a uh, hate letter to Queen's first manager, Norman Sheffield. <laughs> and so he's the one who set up this deal where they're selling the albums basically to him and then he's selling it to the the record company. Wow. And we talked about the the drumstick thing. But the other thing they said was Roger Taylor said he's being told he couldn't hit the drums too hard, but then he'd see the management running around in stretch limos and he's like, "Wait a second, something's not right here." <laughs> hey, wait a minute. Wait a minute. Buck, buck, what? There's other, <laughs> there's other places we could be cutting back. Yeah. And so the whole thing, it's death on two legs, and then it's uh, parentheses dedicated to dot, dot, dot. So they don't name the guy. Um, but what happened was that the, um, the ex-manager wanted to sue them for defamation because of this song. And by doing so, he admitted that there was cause for that him them to dedicate the song to him because he's saying, yeah, this is about me. And it's like, well, if you did all this stuff, then it's not wow. really defamation. <laughs> How great is that? Yeah, too funny. Hey, this song is about me. Yeah. Case closed. Case closed. I love it. But you hear the guitar work in it. It's like it's almost like flamenco in the beginning, you know? Yeah. Brian May's a funky guy on guitar. Always he's am, he's amazing about like playing parts that you wouldn't think would fit, right? Yeah. Like they do, but they like it's so like unexpected. I think. You know, one of the greatest uh, in uh, talking about guitars because you know we love it. You know, you and I we could talk about it for hours. You know, the, they asked Clapton about BB King, and they always said with BB King, it was always not the notes he played; it was the ones he didn't. Right. And Brian May's that kind of guitar player where it just comes in and then it stops. It comes in, you know, it's just uh, not long guitar things like riffs throughout right. the song. Right. And well, when you have such a strong front man like Freddie Mercury, yeah. 
I mean, Freddie's voice like dominates these songs. And so you kind of have to find your spots to fit in to kind of yeah. balance it out, right? Oh, it makes sense. Sure. So uh, originally when he first wrote it, he, uh, Freddie, Freddie wrote this and he uh, showed it to Brian and he's, he was saying that he thought it was too angry and bitter, which it's super is, but Brian May said, screw it, finish it. Yeah. We're going to record it. Two different worlds. One's very intellectual. One's very emotional. Brian May is very intellectual guy. Yeah, yeah, exactly. I think that you hit on that exactly right. And so, yeah, yeah. you know, one it's a good- One guy reacts and one guy responds. Yeah, and it's a great balance and it works out not only right. in like this situation, but when, you know, within the songs, so within the structure of the songs and how the songs are written, it definitely, you can see that that A and B and the, how they play off each other so well. Yeah, they were good friends too. Yeah, yeah, yeah. All right, let's uh, jump ahead to number two. This is uh, Lazing on a Sunday Afternoon. Classic. <laughs> Come on, it's great. I go out to work on Monday morning. Come on. It's a short song. Sorry. Well, you know that's that's a fact. They uh they've always had these little things that they threw in the one and a half, one thirties, you know that kind of thing. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So you know I think it's like Freddie comes up with a song and says it's got to get on the album, but it only has a minute. <laughs> right, right. I know. Yeah, it's a kind of a short one. It catches you catches you by surprise there yeah, at the end. Yeah. Um. So this is interesting though. This song, you know, it's pretty casual. It's just about this guy who loves his Sunday afternoons. Uh, it's a little weird because he says he's from London town, but then he's painting in the Louvre, isn't it? The Louvre in Paris. Yes. <laughs> so I don't know. Um, also, short ahead. drive away. Short drive. Yeah. <laughs> Freddie played the piano and performed all the vocals on this song. And his lead vocal was sung in the studio and then reproduced the headphones in a tin bucket somewhere else in the studio wow. so they had a microphone that picked up the sound from the bucket and that's what gives it that megaphony type of sound that he has perfect certainly uh quite british it just reminds me of like benny hill yeah right exactly right <laughs> yeah, it's quite, like a, it's a like british a song yeah, yeah it's definitely like a 40s ish kind of brit like bippity boppity boo yep, no doubt <laughs> but fun yeah definitely good all right, let's listen to track number three. This is I'm in love with my car. Ooh, 
So this one uh, is a Roger Taylor song, Roger Taylor, and uh, so you can tell the difference in, in the singing there. Mm. Uh, and it was initially taken as a joke by Brian May, who thought that Roger Taylor was not serious when he heard the demo recording of it. <laughs> Could you imagine? Dude, for real? <laughs> <laughs> you singing about your car? Really? <laughs> He's a good singer, though, Roger Taylor. I don't know yeah, you, yeah, it's an, and it's what it, it's a, it's a pretty it's a really good song. I like it a yeah. lot. Uh, it's yeah. one of my favorites, and it fits. I mean, it fits in with the Queen sound. It's got that kind of dramatic, you know, uh, chorus that builds and and sways, and you know, it's very Queeny, if you, for yeah, lack of a better word. Tiny little guitar leads, you yeah, know, bills. But uh, you know what? I I, I was my. So it was my sophomore year in high school. This came out. I could never go over the fact in this song. He reminds Forget Her with Carburetor. <laughs> That's good. <laughs> I told my girl I have to forget her. I got to find me a new Carburetor. <laughs> it's like Ramones rhyming, right? <laughs> yeah. It sounds close enough. Close I enough. Said, I said, forget her Carburetor. Come on. <laughs> I never let that one go. That's good. 50 good years later. <laughs> <laughs> so the engine noises on this recording are authentic, and they come from the car Roger Taylor owned at the time. He had a, um, a an old uh, Alfa Romeo, and so they, they actually recorded the, the sound of that uh, engine go. to get that uh, car sound effects. That works. Yeah. And so Roger loved this song so much, and he demanded that it be on the B-side to Freddie's Bohemian Rhapsody single. Wow. And he wanted it so badly that he locked himself uh, in a closet until Freddie agreed. <laughs> you can come out now. Yeah. So <laughs> the whole thing, it ended up going ahead and getting on the B-side. The song credit went completely to him, to Roger Taylor. And when Rhapsody became a huge hit, Roger Taylor received almost as much equal, uh, almost as much uh, royalties as Freddie Mercury. Oh, wow. So, they, so it was they, kind of a money play. <laughs> oh, so they kind of, they I didn't realize they, if they got more money, if they wrote the song. Yeah. Is that how, is that how they broke down? The yeah. Record? The songwriter gets most of the cash from the record sales. Oh, damn right. I'd lock myself in a closet. <laughs> <laughs> so, so this kind of pissed off the rest of the band because he kind of outsmarted them, you know? And so Queen later in their career decided to give collective co-writing credits oh, to everybody in the band. Thank God. So then that means everybody got equal royalties. So we don't have to sing about our refrigerator next week. Right. <laughs> <laughs> 
That's car great. refrigerator. Yeah, oh, I get yeah, it. Whatever. I get it. I'm making the connections. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> whatever it is to get on the B side. That's great. That's what my great goal. Story. My goal is to be. Story, yeah, it is right? right. Somebody figured out. I got to get some part of this dough. I'm going to get on the B side of the hit. Well, that's a, every once in a while we come across these stories where all of a sudden the band members, I mean, this happened right with the clash, right? Wasn't the same thing where they just realized, oh, I need a single oh, yeah, if I want to yeah. make some money. <laughs> these guys are making a lot more. That's amazing when you think about it, right? It's a band, but it's not a band. It's funny. Everybody's it's on a band, own. but it's a, it's a, it's your job. It's your business. It's how you make a living, you know? Yeah. Become a songwriter is the answer to that. Yeah, exactly. All right, uh, let's jump into number four. This one is my, uh, You're My Best Friend. No, thanks, Bob. <laughs> Good tune. This one is pretty popular. I think most people probably know this song. Uh, this mm. one is actually uh, by John Deacon. He actually wrote this song. Oh, there you go. And he wrote it while he was learning to play the piano. Oh, wow. So that's, that's crazy. If you're just learning great. to play the piano and you write something like this, it's an amazing song. It's an amazing song. Great yeah. song, for sure. You know, actually, I, I was going to think, I was thinking as I'm listening to it, it was uh, Freddie singing it to, you know, to Mary, you know, because... The woman in his life who was his best friend for life yeah well it's actually about john deacon wrote it about his wife so yeah nice. and that whole freddie and mary story that's you know kind of sad happy but sad at the same time you know because he had the the woman in his life but he was really gay and yeah oh tremendously interesting story but two people who were truly in love with each other yeah yeah fantastic so, so this one was actually the second single from the record yeah and um, Deacon played an electric piano on this track, which you can hear. And it was, you know, very popular at the time with like Stevie Wonder and Steely Dan. You hear that same kind of yeah. Fender Rhodes or Wurlitzer or, you know, that they, that sound that's very, very distinctive. Um, but Freddie Mercury didn't like the sound of the keyboard at all. So he said he, he didn't want to play on it. So John played the piano on this because they used that electric piano. But Freddie said, I refuse to play that damn thing. It's tiny and horrible, and I don't like them. Why play those when you have this lovely, superb piano? Yeah. So Freddie loved the big, grand piano, oh, you know, yeah. the over-the-top stuff. He was just, uh, that's that was him. He was the Liberace of his time. Yeah, for sure. Yeah, definitely. Very. Good, you know what? I think that was profound what I just said, Don. <laughs> <laughs> he was. It was like a rock and roll Liberace, you know? Yeah, now that I think about it, I'm going to yeah. write that down. All right. So uh, let's dive well, into Tommy's favorite. This is 39. 
Yeah, a lot of airplay for uh, you're my best friend. Oh yeah, sure. yeah, that was it was a huge, huge hit for them. So this song is amazing. All right, here we go. Let's hear the amazing. thought of this one is kind of the the uh queen hippie song right mm -hmm. yeah i just uh you I know it's like it. the girls with the flower in their hair and the guy with the guitar and <laughs> Got the little 60s going on yeah a little bit a, yeah but it just, it's perfect to me it's just you know how you hear a song and it hits home that that was the one that always just to me if i put that on i'm puts me in the place i want to be it's perfect yeah it's yeah. so and it's so different than the rest of the album uh, yeah. You know, a lot of that's because Brian's singing here. Yeah. And so, yeah. you know, every time you take Freddie off the mic, you get a, a completely different sound, which, you yeah. know, could be good or bad, but usually it's good. Um, the, this the song. guitar. Yeah, you got the acoustic. So it's a totally different sound. So this, this is interesting that the record is uh, so diverse in terms of the, you know, the kinds of songs that we have on it. Yeah. So good. So good. So this one's about an astronaut who travels to a distant place near the speed of light. And because of the time change that happens at these speeds, the crew returns home 100 years later. He's aged only a year, but finds that his wife is dead and his he's about the same age as his grandchildren. And so everybody he knows is dead. So Brian May described it as a sci-fi rock song or sci-fi wow. folk song, actually. <laughs> I would have never thought of that. So it's kind That's of great. like, I mean, it's kind of a similar thing a little bit to the, like the David Bowie stuff that we talked about with uh, with Ziggy. Not yeah. as elaborate. It's just the one song. It's not the whole album. But it's that same kind of mindset of, you know, exploration into space and, and back to Earth and all this sort of stuff. Yeah, well, that's just, that, like I said, that's his background. He yeah, he did work with NASA and all sorts of stuff. Yeah, he actually studied astrophysics and he considered science for his career. Yeah. And when he dropped out of his astrophysics degree to start Queen, it caused a huge rift between him and his dad. So he's like, Brian's thrown his life and his career away. 
And even though the father had helped Brian build his red special guitar when he was a kid, wow. he still thought, okay, the music is a diversion. He's going to get a job. He's going to, like you were saying, go into, you know, something big with, with uh, sure. space or something like that. And so it was only uh, when his father saw Queen play at Madison Square Garden in 1978 that the elder May finally acknowledged that his son had made the right choice. Yeah, damn, that's good. <laughs> yeah, so, you know, so in the end, his dad came around, and I'm sure that was a huge relief to Brian, because uh, it sounds like they were super close, so. Let me tell you, did you say Madison Square Garden, 78? Yeah. I was there. So you were at that big show that was important to Brian I, May. I was there, <laughs> 77 and 78, two of the greatest moments of my life. Weren't they there like every week in like those years though? It seemed like Queen was constantly at Madison Square Garden. Truly one of the most, I, I'll share the story now. It was Yeah, uh, yeah. It was one of the most amazing times of my life in rock and roll. And I've been to hundreds and hundreds of concerts, but uh, you know, the Yankees just won the World Series. Oh, right, right. And uh, Freddie Mercury, the lights are out. He comes out on stage, spotlight hits him. He's dressed in a Yankee uniform. <laughs> That's great. And the floor started shaking from the people just going crazy. And he sat down and started playing. We are the champions. Oh, and that's I, so cool. I, oh, dude, I can still feel it. It was freaking amazing. <laughs> Holy shit. <laughs> yeah. Just one of those concert moments that could never be repeated. You know yeah. I mean? Yeah. Unbelievable. I, you know, people, I, you and I both go to a ton of shows, you know, yeah. I mean, probably, over all the years with me, it's probably been in the thousands, I would say. <laughs> it's beautiful. <laughs> but um, it, people don't understand the difference between like the sound in arenas a lot of times, because generally people will go to the arena near them. They're not traveling around. And I've been in a bunch of different arenas around the U.S., not internationally, but Madison Square Garden is by far the best sounding arena in the United States. It's not even close. Everybody will tell you. Yeah, it's the Mecca. You got to make it to the garden. And got it's to. just a, if you ever get a chance oh. to see a show in Madison Square oh. Garden, doesn't matter what it is, any concert, go do it. It's totally worth it. I'm so glad we're doing this today because I'm just feeling good right now. The memory's going through my head. <laughs> <laughs> I got some stories for you, man. There you go. Yeah, uh, beautiful. So 39, this song was released as a B-side to You're My Best Friend. So there's Brian May getting in his his filthy lucre. <laughs> oh, look at that. So you got you got Deacon and May. On yeah, so everybody's cashing in. Oh. And Roger Taylor had a few songs too. So There you go. Well, he was on the B-side of uh, Bohemian Rhapsody. <laughs> yeah, so right, they're, right. They're all getting smart. All right, so let's jump ahead here. Let's go to track number six. And uh, this one is a, another Brian song, and this is called Sweet Lady. And I love this riff.
So this one's got a little bit of weird timing to it. Most rock songs are in 4-4, four, four, so it's 1, 2, 3, 4, 1, 2, you know, very simple and straightforward. This one is 3-4, so it's 1, 2, 3, 1, 2. So it's kind of like a waltz almost. Yeah, boom, and boom. so uh, when Brian May was working on it, he's that's what he was thinking about. He's thinking about a waltz, and he was trying to say, how can I work this into a rock riff? Yeah, and, it's, it's an interesting tune for sure. Yeah, and so it makes it a lot tougher to drum on a song like this because rock <laughs> drumming is so boom ba da doom ba da boom. It's like you know you're repeating constantly, and they yeah, hear you're one, not two, repeating. Three, yeah, yeah, and it switches to four four in the middle of the song, so it's it's kind of like tough for the drummers. And uh, Roger Taylor said because of it, it's it was the hardest song for him to play live on the drums. I was gonna say, I wonder if they did it live. So there's the answer. Yeah, I you know I, I guess they did because he said it was the hardest one for him to play but probably less often than they would for other songs yeah i quit if you play this tonight i quit <laughs> wait did you get your b-side yet <laughs> i'll be in the closet <laughs> <laughs> all right track track number seven let's listen to this is another freddie song this is seaside rendezvous oh beauty So I want you to listen to this next section. The uh, This next section is uh, Freddie Mercury and Roger Taylor imitating musical instruments using just their voices. All right. And at one point, Roger Taylor hits the highest note on the whole album. So let's take a listen <laughs> to this. That's kind of crazy there, right? Amazing. Yeah. That's fun. That's yeah. Fun. Yeah. So, uh, you know, they're imitating woodwind instruments, including a clarinet and uh, some brass instruments, including tubas, trumpets, and even a kazoo. And the tap dance segment is performed by Mercury and Taylor, but on the mixing desk with thimbles on their fingers. Oh, very cool. <laughs> That's a great way to, I like it. That's a great way to get sound. Yeah. Yeah. Like two little legs. Boop, 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 boop. There you go. And uh, <laughs> and and Freddie Freddie Mercury plays a grand piano, and they have this honky tonk uh, piano that they also play on there. So it's it's a whole mix of interesting stuff. 
Yeah, the album itself, now that you think about it and we're going through it, you, you can see why it's a, it's a classic album, but not for everyone. Yeah, rock, you definitely have to be rollers, into it. It's the rock not... and rollers had a hard time with this. Yeah, yeah. And it's because of songs like this that are a little bit more kind of like show tuney, for yeah. lack of a better word, you yeah. know? It was a different world back then, man. Yeah. And this is, you're right, this is 1975, 76. So yeah. it, it's, they're trying different stuff and, and you know, it, but it's a mix. It's enough of a mix where there's enough of rock and pop songs that kind of carry through this stuff if this is not your cup of tea. Yeah. You know, and I, I will tell you, we just discussed the live shows, uh, the big, big difference between them and being on stage. They killed it on stage, man. They were a live band. Yeah. They, they were tremendous live. Tremendous. Definitely. All right. So let's take a listen to track number eight. This is another Brian song. This is the Prophet song. Bit of a build up here. Fade in. This one again, it's a Brian song, but it was uh, originally titled "People of the Earth," as you could you could hear that phrase repeated a bunch of times here in the song. Mm -hmm. um, and so, I think this this is one of those songs. So this they had done. I think they were recording on twenty four track at the time, which was kind of new because the technology had just started evolving. And so they really use that a lot with a lot of layering of the voices, so you can hear Freddie's got his own backup there and and stuff yep. like that. Um, he, uh, Brian said that the song was inspired by a dream that he had, and he wasn't trying to push any kind of religious agenda with the lyric, but he did want to convey a message. He said in his dream, people were walking on the streets, trying to touch each other's hands, desperate to try and make some sign that they were caring about the other people. So, uh, he was saying that, you know, People don't make enough contact with each other. It's a feeling that runs through a lot of the songs that he writes. If there's a direction 
and and if there, he said it ought to be that people are coming together in a moment, and then he said it doesn't seem to happen that often. So he was that was his thoughts for uh, this one. Got like a uh, how could I say like a Native American beat to it, like a hoo Yeah, had a little bit of that. I, you know, I I say this one is a lot more like Queenie than like Seaside Rendezvous, you know, it's more kind of what you expect traditionally from Queen where you get into it starting off and then it, Freddie's, Freddie's voice just every time he sings, it's always, Wah! you know, it's, it's always building up to something like so dramatic yeah. and strong. It's crazy. Yeah, it's his day. And any song he puts his voice to changes the song. Yeah. Hear. His voice is so amazing. It's, it's yeah. so, so sorely missed. Oh yeah. All right, so uh, let's jump on to uh, number track number nine. This is uh, "Love of My Life." Great song. Another Freddie tune. Yes. So this song is actually, it's one of the most covered Queen songs. So, you know, when they have, you know, people, a lot of times when they're doing covers, they don't take the most popular songs. So this is one that actually is covered by a ton of bands. I would have never thought that. Yeah, and it talks about the plight of a man who's been abandoned by his lover, and he feels that the love that has been taken from him affects him far more than it does his lover. <laughs> Yeah. So it's a very, you know, you you hurt me, you scumbag. <laughs> yeah. yeah, you feel how I feel? No, you don't. Yeah. So, so it's a weird thing where he's in love with this person, but he's also angry at them. <laughs> you know, I, I, with this song, I wonder if I if I could ask the question of Freddie, which, which he enjoyed more, being the rock and roll Freddie or the show tune kind of Freddie? Because he played both roles. He, you know, yeah. So, I think see. he loves both, you know, and I, lo I love that he loves both. I love that yeah. there's this kind of, you know, I don't think this one's a show toony. It's a little bit more reflective, but there's, he definitely has that, you know, that thing about oh, him. Yeah. Where he just sat down at the piano and played right. a song. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Right. But yeah. still, I mean, all these guys are tremendously talented songwriters. Yeah. You know, and that's that's what makes a difference, especially when you get it. And I think a lot of people think of of Queen as a as a Brian May, Freddie Mercury band. And it's really not. It's all four guys. Yeah. Well, Roger Taylor did a lot of singing. He was the backup singer. The yeah. Drummer. Yeah. Always great, great, great voice. Great, great harmonies between him and Freddie. 
Yeah, yeah, amazing right. stuff. Oh, yeah. All right, let's listen to track number 10. This one is called Good Company. So this one, you know, it's a Brian May song. He's singing it. He wrote it. And Fr Freddie's not even on this track, actually. Ah. But from the sound of it, you'd think, oh, this is another kind of Freddie Mercury, you know, like you were saying, like an old timey uh, piano song, right? I got this one pegged. I know what it is. It's, it's Tiny Tim meets Paul McCartney. <laughs> That's funny. It is. Yeah, and he's, it is. he's playing it on a ukulele banjo, which is, ah. I didn't even know that was a thing. Yeah. But when, when you hear it, you know, that's how Tiny Tim would sing in that cadence. Yeah, right, yeah. right. It's that tiptoe through the tulips type of feel. Yeah. There's a career. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, that guy got weird real fast. Ooh. Tiny Tim. <laughs> I worked with him a couple of times. Actually. Oh, did you? In, in yeah, in real life. I, I did. I did public appearances with him. That's funny. Yeah, I, I've only I know him really. I mean, I know the tip through th tiptoe through the tulips, but he was on uh, Stern a lot in the '80s, Howard Stern, oh, sure. and so I yeah. know him from those <laughs> those appearances, really, Mr. where you really Stern got inside and... Tiny's head. Yeah. <laughs> yes, Miss Robin. Remember, you yeah, Miss Robin. <laughs> Miss Robin. Yeah, he's a funky dude. Yeah. yeah, I remember a lot of talk about paper towels. <laughs> <laughs> yeah come in handy you know that yeah all right so let's hit the the big monster hit song the greatest song that you uh, for most people that queen has ever written that everybody knows uh this one's bohemian rhapsody is this the real life is this just fantasy caught in a landslide no escape from reality open your eyes look up to the skies and see i'm just a Trigger, 
So I would love to listen to this whole song, but it's super oh. long. <laughs> I think everybody's yeah. heard it. Yeah. <laughs> so, you know, this song again had this kind of second life when it was in the Wayne's World movie in the in the 90s, right? It kind of brought it back and, and it, but it was such a huge song in the 70s. Oh, huge. And uh so there's a mix of stories about this song, so I don't have any definitives here. The part of one thought is that it, so it's it's got some Arabic words in it and have meet they have meaning in in uh, his parents uh, Freddie's parents religion. Um, so some of the lyrics could be about them having to leave their homeland behind. They were in Zanzibar, but were forced out by a government upheaval in 1964 when they moved to England. So, you know, Brian May had said that Freddie was a very complex person. He was flippant and funny on the surface, but he concealed insecurities and problems with squaring up his life with his childhood. So yeah. Brian said Freddie never explained the lyrics, but he Brian thought that he put a lot of himself into the song. Makes sense. Yeah. Another explanation has to do with not with Mercury's childhood, but with his sexuality. So it was around this time when he was when the song came out that he was starting to come to terms with uh, his bisexuality, his relationship with Mary Austin, who you mentioned before, was falling apart. Yeah. So, you know, I think Freddie's really kind of realizing he was gay and, you know, maybe that was part of, of the impetus for this as well. Um, but Freddie never ever said he was asked a billion times about the song and just never revealed anything about the meaning. Uh, he said, it's one of those songs that has such a fantasy feel about it. I think people should just listen to it, think about it, and then make up their own minds as to what it says to them. Uh, he also I claimed agree. it a couple times that the lyrics were nothing more than random rhyming nonsense. Right. So, but the band, you know, the band kept his wishes and nobody's really ever talked about the, the actual meaning of the song. I don't even think it really matters though. It's such a, a amazing song and it gets people so happy. Who cares? You know, <laughs> I, I mean, don't. does it have to mean anything? I don't, I, uh, no, I just, I listen to music. <laughs> yeah. Right. It's just yeah. fun to listen to. Right. Yeah. And so it was their first top 10 hit in the U.S., peaked at number nine in uh, April of 1976. In the U.K., where they were already pretty famous, you know, because of the previous records, it went to number one uh, in 1975 and stayed there for nine weeks, which was a record at the time. So pretty impactful in their homeland of uh, Great Britain. So a little inside track on how they played this in concert. They would do the beginning, the opening, and the part where they would be doing the bishmila. The lights would go off, the stage would go off, they'd leave the stage, and it would be playing over the sound system, that part recorded. Oh, okay. And then they would come back with the banner. Yeah, right. Yeah, that's got to be super hard to do it live every night like that, oh, no, no, you know, no, yeah. so. Oh, no, it was perfect. It was perfect. Damn. They did the front end live that section right and then wearing, that one section wearing, yeah and then brian may would come out and start wailing that's so it was amazing actually cool how they worked it out yeah 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 well it's such a dramatic song right yeah it's like dramatic. every step of it is it's it's tension and drama and then bam <laughs> fantastic yeah so great great awesome legendary iconic song one of the greatest of all time for sure 
All right. The closing track on the album is basically it's God Save the Queen. So it's basically a cover of the of the uh, the British national anthem. Brian May recorded this in 1974 before the Sheer Heart Attack tour. So it's something that he had worked on for a while. He originally recorded this with a guide piano. And then they edited out the piano part later, and it's just his guitars on this version. So we'll take a quick listen to this just in case people have not heard it. So as you can hear, I mean, I'm sure pretty much everybody knows this song, but uh, it, it's just got layers and layers and layers of guitars on it. And it was something that they used as the closer for their live show for a long time. Yeah, it works. Yeah. I'm thinking my country. Today. Right. I know we're, we're us Americans have the other we, version, which is <laughs> we, we, we stole a riff when we came which, on. <laughs> yeah, which we stole from the British, among other things. Right. We'll, we'll show you. <laughs> we're we're going to rewrite that. your song. <laughs> How great is that? Yeah. Yeah, that was good. That was All good, right. Man. Yeah, there's a night at the opera. I hope you enjoyed it. Don't forget, subscribe. Give us a review, listen, push the buttons, click the things. Yep. And we'll be back next week. We're going to go with another British band where this time we're going to hit, hit up the who for the first time. And Ooh. we're going to do who's next. Nice. So okay. I'm excited. Yeah. I like it. Now we know who's next. There you go. The who. <laughs> <laughs> All right, good All right. job, Don. Thanks, guys. Have a great week and we'll see you next week. Take care. <laughs>